Hello and welcome everybody to the Text Hub Talks podcast. This is the place where we gather experts covering a wide range of topics from education right through into the workplace. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe through your preferred podcast player or streaming service so that you never miss an episode. Today, you're hearing from me, Shauna Hanna. I'm the content strategist at TextHub. And on this episode, we've got a special interview with our CEO, Martin Mackay. I think we'll all agree that education is, is in a constant state of flux right now. And it's tough to know exactly what the upcoming school year will continue to look like, especially in this new tech-led distance learning era. And so in this episode, we lift the lid on the top trends to watch out for in education throughout 2021. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce Martin to the podcast today. And for those of you who haven't had the pleasure of meeting him yet, uh, I'll just give you a little bit of background. Uh, Martin actually founded TextHub in 1996 to help people with communication difficulties. His own personal goal is to help 100 million people achieve their own literacy goals. Martin has spent his life work developing education technology and in the past he had served on the Assistive Technology Industry Association Board as well as the NIMAS Board for the USA Office of Special Education Programs. In 2017 he received the Presidential Award in Recognition of Lifetime Contribution to Dyslexia and Literacy from the International Dyslexia Association. He is currently serving in an advisory capacity on the, U- on the UDL Council as well. So without further ado let's jump on in. Okay, so last year you said you were going that we were going to continue to see an interest in learning analytics. Based on how the year has played out and due to COVID-19, do you think that learning analytics will play an even bigger role in the in the incoming year? And also why will it be so important? Uh yes, I, I do think learning analytics is going to uh become more important. And in fact, I think COVID has um really shone a light on the importance of it. Uh, Most kids around the world last year lost a significant amount of their educational year. Uh, A lot of kids lost almost a full term. Um, And, you know, the kids who didn't lose a full term certainly didn't have the kind of 100% education experience. And we know that time away from school creates learning loss. Um, That's been shown in in a number of studies. And, uh, And this year, kids had more time off school than, you know, than ever before. And it's absolutely going to set those kids back. And I think learning analytics can measure the impact of that and help educators and administrators track how far off you know normal educational progress uh, kids are and uh, and and what needs to be done to get them back on track again. Uh, we've already seen this year in the UK, for example, in a study that was done, young kids, younger kids in particular have, uh, have taken a step backwards and need to be retaught, for example, in some cases, how to use a knife and fork. And uh, kids who are a little bit older and who are reading and writing, who aren't getting enough practice at reading and writing, uh, they're going to lose that stamina and their, their writing is not going to be as good as it would have been had they been in school all year. So I think analytics, super important to keep track of that and uh, and track our progress back towards normality again. Okay, so student motivation and engagement are topics uh, that you've discussed a lot uh, this year and that has been in the wider uh, arena this uh, over this past sort of eight, nine months. Uh, and we also talked about this time last year. However, you kind of touched on it a little bit there. You know, I don't think anybody ever anticipated the drop in engagement uh, that has occurred because of COVID-19. Um, can you explain in a few ways... Um, 
how you think we'll see educators and ed tech companies try to improve engagement as we move through this new learning landscape? Yeah, that's a good question, Shona. Um, you know, last year I had been talking about nudge theory and how uh, we can use nudges to motivate kids to get, uh, you know, more involved in their education and think about writing as a kind of fun activity that they can improve at by giving them a number that they can really easily move with just some additional discretionary effort. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, that that's a really useful thing because this year, whenever kids were sent home and had to uh, be uh, taught using uh, distance learning, uh, you know, the engagement is very often not there. And uh, also the social pressure, when kids are all in a room together, uh, there's social pressure to set up straight and pay attention to the teacher. Um, but if you're at home, uh, there's there's no one really there unless your parents are, you know, uh, being very um, supportive and encouraging uh, to make the kids sit down in front of the computer and join the, the Zoom call or join the, you know, the Google Meet or the Teams meeting to participate in class. And that motivation to participate is uh, is something that has been missing. And, uh, you know, it's it, loads of kids won't be motivated to participate. And so um, teachers need to learn to uh, be more engaging in a, you know, in, in a webinar setting whenever they're teaching uh, remotely. That's something that we really need to uh, to see. At, at Textile, we've been recognizing this and trying to find ways to motivate kids by, by gamification, you know, so trying to like turn their writing into a number uh, you know how many words they've written this week, or how what's their best writing verse this week, or what's their how mature is their writing, and kids can keep a track of that number, and just by writing a little bit more, practicing a little bit more, uh, they can improve their writing. And you know it feels like a game, not like a chore. And so those are the sort of some of the things that we're trying to do around uh, around motivation. But it, it, it is a thing; it's a serious thing. Um, teachers need to be taught how to keep people engaged when they're not all in the room together um, when they're when they're uh, distributed okay so we've definitely seen an increase in the use of technology in 2020 in some cases um an increase of 150 to 190 percent um because of uh, the pandemic and and it forcing many students and educators to conduct their learning uh, from home uh, learning and teaching from home uh, do you think schools and educators will adopt more technology into their teaching practices overall or do you think the level of adoption will stay similar to what's happening now so um i certainly don't think it's going to drop back i don't think there's any kind of going back from the point where we're at now uh, i think most teachers who have adopted some kind of digital learning and uh, digital kind of homework uh i think once they've done that a few times and they realize the convenience of it uh, you know they're not going to go uh, to go back from that and in fact even in the short term even with a vaccine on the horizon it, it's still going to be quite some time before everyone is vaccinated it's probably going to be you know certainly late spring and uh, even in a in an in-class setting uh, teachers don't want to be handling physical materials because that could be a vector for the virus to be transmitted so even though kids are actually back in school face to face, certainly in the school that my uh, kids go to, they're still doing their homework digitally. So they're handing in, they're turning in digital work now, and uh, so the teacher doesn't actually have to take paper from them and carry 
paper home from school into their home and potentially, you know, uh, be an infection risk. So, uh, yeah, the digitization thing, I, I don't see any going back. Once, once uh, teachers experience the convenience of digital instruction and they get kind of pushed over that, uh, over that initial um, learning hump, you know, to learn to do something new, um, once they get the convenience of it, I don't think there's any going back. To the skeptics that are out there and that are just dying for a return to just pure in-class uh, instruction, face-to-face, no technology at all. Um, so, uh, look, everyone likes and you know, when, when we when we get together as human beings in person, the learning experience is richer. Absolutely, I I, I get that, but. You know, you can have uh, an enthusiastic and inspirational teacher at the front of the room and uh, still, you know, participate in, uh, in digital learning. And when you participate in digital learning, there's certainly less work for the teacher because you don't have to, you know, do the work on paper and then transcribe it into your student information system. Uh, so I, I think there's a difference between schools getting back to normal and having everyone in the same room and having uh, kind of more human real physical interaction and and uh but I, I still think that once teachers have really experienced the efficiency benefits of digital you know digital learning and people handing in digital homeworks and having access to analytics around digital learning i, I don't see a return to like the old kind of mass return to paper and pencil I don't see that happening so we've heard many different narratives about how education will change because of the pandemic what do you think will be the most significant uh, transformation um personally I think math uh, maths depending on what side of the Atlantic you're, you're on uh you know the teaching of mathematics and uh, the homework uh, has been a very paper-based exercise lots of people are, have been you know writing their math on paper and getting their homework on, on worksheets and filling in worksheets and sending worksheets uh, back to teachers and now that has to be done digitally and I think that one of the real benefits behind doing your math digitally is accessibility for people who need accessible uh, you know instructional materials because pencil and paper is not accessible if you use a pencil and paper uh, or you give someone uh, even a scanned pencil and paper worksheet, um, a visually impaired student can't read that and a student who has got learning difficulties who needs the math to be read aloud that's a, that's a challenging uh, thing so whenever teachers start to create math resources digitally using modern math input tools like Equatio uh, then the sooner we have an accessible instructional environment for uh, for all kids and then when, when kids get that you know it doesn't matter if they're on a an iPad or a Chromebook or a, a Windows PC or a Mac, they can listen to the math and they can respond to the math in a universally designed way. You know, they can respond with, they can type their math or dictate their math or handwrite their math and whatever they do, it'll get turned into nice, clean, typeset, accessible math, which is, you know, going to be useful and, and readable by everyone. So I think, yeah, math for me is the biggest transformation area. Um, so in terms of product innovations and education technology in general, uh, what do you think will be the next big things to look out for in, in the coming year? So I think a couple of things. I think kind of passive analytics. And by passive analytics, I mean teachers not having to do anything, not having to even score writing or assess writing, but to be able to see um, 
you know, learning behavioral analytics and of their of their classroom. Uh, I think that's going to give teachers uh, a good deal of additional insight into uh, a kid's learning behaviors, and uh, I think that that's that's going to be a very interesting thing. I also think that there's going to be a bit of an uptick in um, social and emotional, uh, you know, technology to help kids now as they, I mean, they've been through a really tough time. There's a lot more kind of angst and stress and uh, mental health issues than there have been in prior years. And I think that uh, technology around social and emotional uh, support is going to be uh, of increasing importance over the coming years. Uh, you know, over the last number of years, we've talked about um, robotics and, and coding and stuff. And, and all of that kind of fun stuff has almost been pushed to the side because of COVID. Um, and uh, in a way, and I guess, you know, the importance is obviously to assess the learning loss that has taken place because of it um, and, and, and to get kids back on track. But do, do you see the likes of coding and, and robotics and, and such things as, as something that might come back into play as being important uh, later on this year? Yeah, you know, I was talking to a, a teacher about this uh, the other day and, you know, physical, the making of stuff, the physical making of stuff and the physical playing with Lego and robotics and uh, Mindstorms kits and so on, uh, that can't happen at the minute because of infection risk in, in the classroom. So a lot of that stuff has been pushed to the side and kids are playing around with virtual, you know, you can still program uh, in, a, in a COVID environment and be socially distanced. Uh, but that physical kind of building things, that robotics, uh, that has had to take a little bit of a backseat. And uh, it's going to be a while before that become, becomes normal again. Um, and particularly, you know, kids collaborating and working together on a little uh, on a little physical uh, robotics project, uh, those sorts of things are, are, you know, they've just been pushed to the side. So it'll be really good when we are vaccinated and get back to normal. And uh, hopefully in the summer term or in the spring term this year, we'll see a return to normality from that regard. I see Erin, uh, like she's just dying to get back to that kind of stuff at the minute. And, you know, there's only there's only so much that the likes of Minecraft can offer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So are there any interesting technologies that you're excited to see in 2021? I mean, there are a few things. Obviously, COVID has just accelerated a lot of um, a lot of things that I have been a fan of, you know, anyway. Uh, being able to teach by Zoom or by Google Meets and have uh, breakout rooms and have interesting online, uh, you know, voting and comment and hand raising tools uh, all that stuff has just been accelerated and uh, while I absolutely you know can't wait for schools to get back to normal um, and uh, you know be in a physical building again for much of the world it's just become a very normal thing to hop onto a video conference and participate and I think now uh, kids are going to be able to collaborate with other kids around the world in, uh, in a way that would have probably been a little bit dramatic before you know oh my goodness how are we going to connect to the school on another continent uh, and now it's just going to be very normal so I think from that perspective um, I think that's uh, that's very good um, I do think that you know um, some of that stuff around digital math I think has just uh, been transformative and uh, the you know it's almost like the problem that has been solved because we have solved a problem for accessibility and thought about math from the 
physical and cognitive, uh, you know, difficulty perspective. And we've made it really, really easy for for people who struggle with uh, cognitive load, for example, to enter math and for that math to be made accessible. I think it's just been a real, it's been a game changer. It's kind of like, um, you know, when you put the ramp in for a hotel and the ramp is there designed for people with wheelchairs, but it ends up getting used by the FedEx person or parents with strollers or prams or buggies uh, or people with suitcases. And, uh, you know, when you solve it for, you, you try to solve it for one group, but you end up solving it for everyone and making life much easier. And uh, I think that has happened in a few areas, particularly in, in math. So that overlap of innovation and, and accessibility, and although it was designed for accessibility, it's really made math much, much easier for a much bigger group. So that, that's exciting, I think. Are there any global markets where ed tech adoption has gone particularly well uh, or have been effective government pol- policies implemented to standardize the tools that are being used? So that's a big question. And uh, I would say yes. And, and, it, uh, and it varies, you know, uh, by even within a market like the USA, there have been some places where there's been uh, like a fantastic amount of funding and policy, which has really enabled. Uh, for example, I think in the state of Maine, every single kid in the state of Maine has got access to a device and connectivity, which is absolutely incredible when you think about it. But uh, unfortunately, the state of Maine is one of the few states where that has uh, where that has happened. It's not um, kind of uniform. But also, we've had, there have been really inspirational stories of school districts who have uh, turned their school buses into mobile Wi-Fi hotspots and you know put a five G hotspot in the bus and driven the bus out to a neighborhood uh, where kids can get around the bus and uh, and get together and get connected and participate in digital education. Um, I think that's really good. I, I also think though, you know, it's again, it's been, it's been uneven in, in many areas, disadvantaged kids don't have access to technology or there may only be like one device in a, in a household with quite a few kids, or they may not have access to good Wi-Fi. Um, so it has been uh, it has been uneven, um, but certainly I do think this is going to accelerate the adoption of technology, and you know it's we're going to see the computer to student ratio getting closer to one to one, and uh, I I do think that you know that this pandemic having had occurred, it's going to be in people's thinking and planning. You know, what happens if this happens again? We need to be able to teach. We need, we need to education to be able to continue. And I think that is probably going to continue to drive education policy and planning so that we have more connectivity and devices and trained teachers so that we know that should this crop up again, that we're able to respond to it and uh, educate remotely. Looking specifically at the UK for a moment, where it's not... Uh, regionalized in the way that it is in the US, but do you feel that the government should be taking action? You know, is is is, is there a case for bringing back the likes of Becta or something similar to help with with the regulation piece? So I know that in in the UK uh, there is some active work going on at the moment in the Department of Education. There is quite a bit of planning around um, access to technology and funding is, uh, I believe, being made available uh, to facilitate the uh, distribution of devices to particularly to uh, disadvantaged areas. But, you know, um, 
you're right. The UK education market used to be used to be a little bit more structured when local education authorities set policy and uh, procurement for you know a, a, like a large group of schools, and it's less structured now. And that's probably to the disadvantage of the the schools in the UK. And uh, I, I think some more um, organizational structure, uh, you know, at the regional level would probably help uh, there be, you know, better better value procurement, for example, as well as kind of more consistent uh, deployment and access to technology. What are the biggest lessons the school sector has learned from rapid adoption of edtech tools and uh, which features will prove most effective or useful? Um, so the biggest lessons the school sector has learned, I would say, is that, first of all, uh, it can be done remotely. It is possible to, uh, you know, turn in homework digitally. It's, it is possible to teach online. Um, I would also say that we have definitely learned that there are challenges, and the challenges lie around teacher training and access to technology and access to connectivity. And uh, I think that, you know, it would have been nice to have um, connectivity and trained teachers in place uh, before this occurred. So there's, there's been a bit of a scramble to get uh, training and uh, access to uh, technology. But I also do think that it will be transformative in the longer term because I don't see teachers having uh, got used to homework being turned in digitally. And uh, I, I, I can't see it all going back to paper. Uh, for the stuff that belongs on paper, like art, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't see people um, kind of painting with charcoal going away or uh, painting with paint for that matter or, you know, Lego or robotics going away. But for the things that can be done digitally, um, where they can be done better digitally, I, I think that's, it's a no-brainer that those things will continue and we can just, I mean, it's horrible at the moment, but we'll be able to look back at COVID as an accelerant that kind of pushed us towards a more uh, digital education. Thanks so much, Martin, for joining us for this special episode. And thanks to you all for listening. I think you'll agree that education and education technology are, are evolving at a faster pace than at any other period in recent history. Because of this, it's more important than ever to understand how and where it's changing and also to keep our eye on the future so that educators and schools can properly support our students. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for joining us and we look forward to the next time. Stay safe, everybody. Take care.